As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Meredith Hall, current producer at Aconite, co-founder of Access Unlocked, and a big part of Film Victoria's Games Initiative. So join us as we explore our journey. So today I'm joined by Meredith. How are you? Oh, what a big question in a in a big year. I'm good. I'm really good. I am enjoying a little bit more freedom now that Victoria is out of lockdown, which has been really nice. Yeah, as of when we record this, uh, it'll be a couple yes. of weeks ago when you listen to this, but uh, at this point in time, a couple of days away from the, the the Ring of Steel being locked down, and it's I'll get to really, my parents. It's really over dramatized that Ring of Steel name, but um, I love it. <laughs> but I, I'm happy to lean into it, especially as someone who. Uh, I was a little bit fortunate enough to be on the, the better side of the, the fence there. I don't. <laughs> I, I can kind of stray wherever I wherever I see fit for the most part. Well, so. it's very superhero movie sounding, which is I think why I like it. It just gives oh, yeah. me real like Superman vibes. So yeah, okay. I'm all for it. I'll lean into that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. For, the, for the last two or three days that we've got with the the Ring of Steel, I'm going to start looking exactly. through that lens. Uh, <laughs> so this is Dev Diary. So we talk to developers from. Throughout the industry, they share their stories, their experiences, and basically everything that's led to this day, this juncture, and this point in time. But before we get to your career, which covers a lot of different facets of the industry, and there's lots of different um, perspectives that we're ultimately going to come from here, I want to rewind back to some of your first gaming experiences and discuss the first game that you played, the first games you played. Do you recall what those were or slash are? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. I think the first thing that I ever remember playing was... Mario and it was on the Super Nintendo that my neighbors across the road had because we didn't have anything in our house at yeah. the time and I just remember always being like hey can we can we duck across the road like can we go can we go hang out there You're and going then over there a like, lot <laughs> oh yeah yeah like would get in their door and be like hello yes hi I know you are a person maybe play Mario now um that's probably the earliest earliest memory and then I just remember primary school being a flood of like everyone who was the coolest kid had a Game Boy and you would just like cluster around their Game Boy, just like 20 tiny children Watching staring at an even and... tinier screen. Yeah. Um, but the first console we had in our, in our actual house was a PlayStation 1. Well, no one played games with me. I was, uh, well, I'd play, I'd go off play sport and that my one friend that would play Game Boy with me bailed on me, but I didn't have 20 people gathering around me playing <laughs> Game Boy. So you were, you picked the right school and I clearly did not. Well, apparently, I definitely, I would have liked to be the kid with the Game Boy, I think. I think that would have made me super stoked. And I also think I probably would have been like your friend and like sitting in a corner with the Game Boy by myself. So maybe it was probably for the best that I did not have one. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> but definitely like, yeah, on, in, on reflection. Um, but I remember when my brother got a PlayStation 1, that was the first time that we kind of like had a console in the house and I would just try and steal it as much as possible and that's when i really remember playing um like the xena warrior princess game which is oh, still yeah. one of the best games i think that has ever been made ever i am still obsessed with that game it was i mean so that's, well done. that's certainly probably one of the most controversial calls that i've ever had uh, raised oh, on this show but I'm, I'm not going to argue with you because i had a lot of fun with it but it's uh, certainly I a controversial comment it. 
I loved it. I just think there's so many things about it that I love about game design and I love about, like, it just did so many weird, strange things that were quite ambitious and odd for a game that was based on a TV series about a warrior princess, like... That most people don't even know of these days and even then was somewhat obscure back in the day too. Super obscure, yeah. And I, I just remember, like, I have a real fondness for that. That's, like, the first game that I really remember feeling super connected to and just loving um, and wanting to know, you know, everything about. Um, it was it was just the best. I love it. And then a lot of Crash Bandicoot as well. Too much Crash Bandicoot. Ah, oh, that's um, right. There's some good choices in there. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And my mum would love you for you to just raise Xena like that, regardless oh. of whether we're talking about the game or the TV shows. She would love you for that, so... Xena, um, there should have been a Charmed video game. I think that really would have just made me lose my mind. Um, that would have been too much for young me. I wouldn't have been able to cope. Just that's it. I'm playing this for the rest of my life, and <laughs> yeah. that's that's it. Yeah, um, GG. So how did things kind of develop taste-wise from there? Were, you, were there any franchises or even just single games that you really latched onto and attached yourself to? Definitely. I was I was definitely a big Pokemon girl. Yeah. Um, but I... I mean, we, I grew up in a Mac household, so we didn't have any PCs PC, until yeah. I went to high school. Um, so I very quickly, because I didn't have access to many consoles, got into like ROMs and emulators yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So that was where I was playing like 90% of what I could play. Um, but I got really into Pokemon and then I saved up to buy my first Nintendo DS, like the really bricky blue yeah, one. Yeah, I remember that. And one. I, oh, gorgeous, gorgeous um, console. And I played so much Pokemon on that. I remember then later when I upgraded that, I played my first Fire Emblem, um, Fire Emblem Awakening, which I loved. Like, I definitely, I've played a lot of really odd games and I remember a lot of like shareware and just total like cereal box, like Age of Empires cereal box kind of upbringing where it was like, it was whatever I could get my hands on for whatever platform I had access to at the time. So all the games I remember are things that 90% of people just didn't, play especially because they were mac games a lot of the time to be fair a lot of our experiences were age of empires from the nutri grain box oh experiences yeah too. like there, there's a lot of people with that shared history there so you, exactly so that's uh yeah yeah that's a that's a that's a bright spot in my oh geez now you're making me reflect i on know that. i know how good was that and, and that was the thing it was like you know i was lucky that i had quite a lot of friends both through primary school and high school that had access to you know, different consoles and stuff like that. Yeah. So a lot of what I played was kind of by osmosis or like whatever my yeah, brother okay. was playing. Like my brother played so much, like every single WWE release because he loved wrestling. I would play that with him, even though I was just button mashing and like Mortal Kombat. And so there was a lot of games that like Dynasty Warriors that he picked oh. up that then I just absorbed, yeah. um, which just I loved. Purely, I have purely watching. Totally. Yeah. And, and just waiting until he had something on or was like away from the console. So it was your turn. Enough. Yeah, to let me play with him. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until really I didn't I didn't have my own like I guess serious console um, until I was in uni and I traded in. I remember I like bought an Xbox or something and I traded in a acoustic guitar that I had so that I could get the new GTA because I wanted to play it so badly. But I was like a broke uni student. Interesting trade deal by EB Games there. Oh, straight down to Cashies, Cash Converters, dropped in and was like, listen, how much for this guitar? And they're like, $50. And I was like, that is enough. That's half like, of GTA, I'm set. Yep, I've got the other 50 Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so was is there a game at all that you identify as being 
like a, a trigger point that kind of helped guide you towards, hey, I'm, I'm kind of interested in getting involved in the industry or is that just something that you kind of identify really just developed of its own accord through time? It's, it's funny. Like I never thought that I could be in the industry. I didn't, you know, I wasn't math brained particularly, which was the assumption that I had at the time that if you wanted to go into programming, you had to be yeah. math brained. Um, and I went to a, you know, a high school that was pretty good about encouraging, you know, all of us, cause it was a, a girl's private school to pursue different things like pursue computing and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but for me, I just never thought it was an option. I can't art. I cannot draw anything like no one wants that in any industry. Yeah. Um, no, so I just kind of, yeah, didn't realize there was an option there for me at all. Um, so ironically, the, the game that feels most closely connected to my career in the industry for me is actually Overwatch because I had gotten a gaming PC shortly before that first gaming PC that I literally had ever had because I'd always just been on consoles with Overwatch in mind or just no not at all just I you know was picking up a lot of stuff I was playing a lot of Heroes of the Storm um, on like a crappy old Mac laptop that I had and I was like I'm just so tired of not having access to this stuff and then my partner um now my fiance surprised me with a a gaming pc and so that was when like both i really dove into actually engaging with i guess sort of the the context of gaming because i didn't have that many close friends that were playing games i didn't have people to talk to about it um and so finally i kind of had people to talk to and the hardware for it um and that sort of opened up that window a lot more of, of really loving games and and diving into it but i still had no idea that like being a producer or being a marketer for the games industry was a thing especially especially locally because i think for so many of us there was still this association i think the the walls have been broken down on the it's a japan thing uh for most of us but still a lot of us would typically associate games with being japan america pockets of europe not australia absolutely what games come out of australia and obviously once once you've made those discoveries (laughs) and there's actually a fairly rich history here but um, for the longest time, it was what? No, like I, I am going to have to pack up my life and move overseas if I want to chase this dream. And it turns 100%. out it's actually thriving in our own backyard. So yeah, and I remember at one point because um, I started marketing at um, university, and I know that uh, in Sydney there was a job at Blizzard going. And I remember applying and basically just writing a love letter. Like I feel for them because it was just like my cover letter was just me being like, listen it's fine you don't have to hire me i just need you to know that like these games and the game because i played like the original diablo and had really fond memories of that and something that i always appreciated about blizzard was that they released their games on mac and so for me i had access to like warcraft and all that sort of stuff um from a pretty young age and so it was just kind of this love letter of like hey i love you and i love that you gave me that access even though it was like this offset branch yeah. of, you know the, the kind of marketing side of it but that was the closest i thought that we got um in australia because i just didn't really know any better at the time and didn't have access to people who knew that stuff so i mean obviously yeah you, you just you were talking about the marketing um studies there and applying for blizzard but how did that first opportunity actually in gaming emerge because i well in all the research i did i didn't see blizzard's name actually pop up so it's fair to assume that you no. didn't actually <laughs> especially with that uh that particular pitch there maybe yes. maybe i can see why you didn't get it because you were look power to him i probably wouldn't have hired me either it was just a very <laughs> affectionate little letter um hopefully it made someone's day at least oh i'm um, sure it probably yeah. did it was it was really interesting for me i had um i had been working for a while actually in retail 
as I was finishing up um, studying and I was working at Apple and I was like kind of sold on Apple as my place. I was like, I'm going to work at Apple forever and it's going to be a great time because I love engaging with people in technology. Like yeah. that's two things that I've always loved. Um, and I was like, maybe I'll end up in marketing for Apple because, you know, I, I would love to help people connect to, to things they love. And then I ended up, because um, I worked in one of the busiest stores in Australia, I ended up getting really bad vocal nodules from talking every day, oh, right, eight okay. hours in a really busy store. And so I was like, okay, I guess I've got to go work in an office. So I was actually working in print publishing at the time. And a friend of mine um, that I went to primary school with, actually, one of the people who like lived on my street, um, Lucy Mutima, if she's listening, um, and she sent me a message and was like, hey, this company that I'm working for as a 2D artist really needs a marketer. Is that something you'd be interested in? I've you know, throwing your name in the ring as a couple of people. And I was like, oh my God, yes, absolutely. I would love to do that. Because for me, I just wanted to do marketing for something that I cared about and believed yes. in. And games was a massive thing for that. Um, so yeah, it was a friend who said, hey, would you be interested? And I said, yes. And so uh, went in for an interview amongst, you know, a bunch of different people that were being considered and managed to land the job. And the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, and then it's just kind of taken off from there. And so I've got, uh, there's a there's a lengthy and growing list of credits, I might add, where we've got, uh, well, it's gone through different names, Paperville Panic Slash, Paper Fire Rookie. Uh, yes. There's The Unkindness, Middle of the Hill. Uh, there's the work with Aconites, a Hollow Vista. Um, in various different capacities, of course, there's there's marketing components, there's producing components, there's uh, the, the range of different titles from uh, like narrative, like kind of, oh, do we... What do we call them? They're not quite. I guess if I boil them down to point and clicks, it's maybe too disparaging to what they are because they're not. No, I quite, reckon that's a, they, yeah. They like are and they're not visual novel esque at times, yeah. but sometimes without visuals, sometimes just novel esque. Yeah, just just te uh, text, and they're really quite fascinating. They're a super deep well that I went tumbling down when I <laughs> when I messed, messed around with a few. I'm like, oh my god, there's like a surface level. It, people don't necessarily quite understand or respect just how deep these uh, these sorts of titles can go, and so. Be sure, as we'll talk about them in more detail, I'm sure. But uh, be sure to do a little bit of research into these because they're they're fantastic. But there's there's quite a there's quite a range of different sorts of titles that you've been involved with. What's that been like? It's been really interesting. And I feel like I've said that a lot, but it, it's true. I mean, especially starting out in in VR, which was you know even in 2017, 2016, 2017, VR was even younger than it is now as a yeah. market. And it's a really, really tricky space. And there's a lot of things that it is doing and learning and growing. And, you know, I'm really excited. I think it's in a really good spot, especially with things like the Quest 2 and more people being willing to take chances and take risks. But that's a really odd place to find yourself in when you're developing a game with yeah. a new team, you know, a majority of whom are out of university. Um, you're coming in as the marketer and you're trying to understand that market, understand you know, how you build these things. Um, I, I was really grateful and I think it was a massive testament to really Australia as a whole to just have so many people around that were willing to give guidance on all the other elements yes. so that I could kind of worry about the, okay, what are the elements internally that I need to learn and know yeah. about? But I just tried to find and read everything voraciously and that is a trait that has stayed with me. <laughs> and I'm sure is a massive benefit to the various other aspects of... Uh game design and production as well i'm sure it, i think we're lucky i think there's a lot of there's a lot more information out there than people even could Realize. imagine it's just a matter of of finding it and and knowing where to look and knowing you know who to ask and i was definitely you know kind of banging down the door of a lot of people's dms for the first kind of two years if yeah. not 
more till this day um, that I was in games because I just, there's no book on how do you do games marketing or even really how do you do games production. There's a couple more on the production side, but even less on the marketing side. So a lot of it was studying what was happening at that exact moment in time and then trying to react to it, which is the same now. Well, the marketing side, and I mean, you know, as someone who I guess commentates on games, but and receives marketing pitches in emails and those sorts of things, I still obviously bring a very very different perspective to it than what you would being on the complete opposite side there. But um, like it just seems like, and it would extend to the development scene as well. It's so volatile; things are changing so rapidly. So whatever you feel like you know, it's probably going to change in like a month or two. A hundred percent, and and I think that's something that. It, it can be really tricky to learn the basics when the in-depth stuff is changing so quickly. And I think that was because I had studied communications, I hadn't necessarily studied, you know, marketing on a really like niche level. And yeah. so I think that actually really helped. Like not having a games background gave me the chance to think about it from the perspective of how do you connect people to things that they care about? Yes. And that's something that I think people miss a lot of the time about marketing is they feel like marketing means advertising and it means, you know, these nasty, evil people who are tracking you and just want to shove things under your nose. Yeah, but, and take all your money and all those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah. But to me, it's like, you know, it's the equivalent of having a glass of water and someone is thirsty and you have the power to give that to them. And yep. I think that's a that's a really unique thing when it comes to human connection that's exciting. No, that's that's a really, really awesome way to look at it as well. Now, the first title, as we mentioned before, VR, uh, it's uh, a paper fire uh, rookie is a kind of a joke firefighting sim. It like, is. The, the, the challenges of <laughs> pitching that to the world must be, like, firstly, VR is a niche. Yep. Then uh, firefighting sims would be another very narrow niche. And then it's a piss take of that. <laughs> like, yeah, there's 100%. so many layers. Like, ha- Did you look at that and go, what? this is fantastic, but what the hell am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I definitely, it, it definitely was not without its challenges. Jumping like, in the deep end? Yeah, 100%. And which I think, you know, was was kind of good. I got to take on one of the most difficult challenges and try and pull some kind of visibility out of it. And we, we got a lot, um, which was really, really great. And I think it is about trying to look at something like that when you're you're faced with, I guess, the, the game design of it and the mechanics of it and what that looks like and go, okay, what is going to resonate with people? Yep. And, you know, when we were little, you know, what did you want to be when you grow up? You know, do you want to be a firefighter? Do you want to be a policeman? Like, what does that look like? But then also really leaning into that Australianness of it all and of the fact that we are, you know, cheeky yep. and silly and trying to create a story that was going to make people laugh and make them feel engaged. And and in a lot of ways, you know, learn off the back of that. It was a, a new team trying to understand, okay, how do you create something that is, you know, accessible for audience, enjoyable for audience, you know, that you can get out on time, on budget. Um, and so for me, it was, you know, pardon the pun, a trial of fire in a lot of ways. Perfect. Because Very I... <laughs> nice. There's, there's the marketing coming out. Oh, yeah. Um, because I did have to take something that was a bit abstract in a niche space and go, okay, how do I actually talk about this to people? Um, and how do I get it some visibility? And yeah, I think, you know, the whole team did a really good job at pulling something together in a pretty short amount of time that reviewed quite well and was received well. And I think that's a massive testament to that team for, for managing to do that. Now, I, yeah, you're right. It's it's an incredible title. And actually, yeah, quite had, had a, quite a bit of fun with it myself. But um, it really stands in 
strong contrast to then some of your follow-up titles. So things like yes. The Unkindness, for example, Middle of the Hill, poles apart, not only in terms yeah. of obviously how you play the game, um, but also the themes and the stories that are trying to be told through those titles. So when I mean, The Unkindness with uh, chronic illness and the, the emotions associated with all the, uh, with those aspects, when it comes to the middle, middle of the hill, we were obviously talking before about just the nature of that experience and just these layers and layers and layers and how deep you can just go into this story without even really realising you're just kind of clicking through, reading, reading, reading. How do you make that pivot in your head? Um <laughs> I, I guess a lot of it was, you know, when I came in um, to working at Ultimus and, and working on Paperville at the time, I was initially there as the marketer. And so I didn't necessarily feel like I had the context or the knowledge to influence that that game. You know, I didn't think that I had any game design skills or that I had anything to really offer in those spaces in those ways. Um, and I've always loved writing, but, you know, just because you love writing doesn't necessarily mean that you're a narrative designer course, or anything yeah. like that. Um, so for me... I very much looked at that and, and looked at that role. And especially as I moved into the producer role relatively quickly, I looked at that as, okay, my job here is to get this out and get this out on time. And that means that at the end of the day, it's nothing to do with what I want it to be yeah. and everything to do with what the audience needs it to be. Um, yeah, okay. And so that kind of changed changed that experience of it. For me, I tried to stay, when I'm producing, I try to stay at a little bit of an emotional distance from what I'm creating. Whereas Middle of the Hill and The Unkindness, they very much were my games entirely by me and very much about leaning into the emotion of that experience. Um, I have a little like, you know, laundry list in my head in that I want to try and create something start to end um, on like every small engine that I can so I want to make my way through you know Renpy like I have with the unkindness and twine and then I want to go through Bitsy and you know Pico 8 and just like there are so many tools out there for people who don't necessarily have coding skills to create something yeah and, and just so explore it's kind of, the yeah, possibilities with yeah them. exactly and so that's what I wanted to do explore the possibilities with you know both of those titles but also explore the emotions that, that go along with them because I had the the capacity to do so yeah, I mean, exploration is obviously the the real key word there because yeah, it's not just uh, it's not just the the actual game making process, but it's also yeah the emotion and the storytelling within that. There's, as I mentioned, Absolutely. layers and layers and layers. So, uh, please, if people aren't familiar with either of those two titles, uh, I mean, your site was a great way for me to, to kind of access it because they're all presented right there and it's just very very clear and concise. Yes. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. So uh, go dive in and take a look at both the unkindness and middle of the hill. Uh, we've also spoken about Aconite and Hollow yes. Vista. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about that really cool little mobile title uh, because there's a lot going on with that. It is available now, so again, please feel free to go check that out if you uh, if you like what you hear in the moment. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about Hollow Vista because there's yeah, I mean the trailer alone is it's super intriguing. Yes, it's a very you know I had the most serendipitous experience with with that team and that title. Um, I you know they found me from a random tweet where I said I was going to be at GDC and that I was wanting to just chat to people. Yeah. And I wasn't looking for work. I wasn't, you know, doing any of that stuff. I was going over, um, you know, on, on my own dollar, but I was working at Film Big at the time. And so for me, it was kind of just a nice thing to connect with some other developers. And I met with Nadia and Star, who are the two directors of Aconite. And we just had the loveliest conversation um, talking about what they were working on, which is, of course, nothing like what, you know, Hollow Vista ended up becoming because yeah, that's... Okay game dev it's yeah that's the nature of it it, 
yeah, it was definitely leaning in this direction, but it, it pulled itself together in a really different way, as all games do. Um, but I walked away from that thinking, like, oh, that'll be the end of that. And, you know, they're a great team, and hopefully I get to chat to them again one day. Um, and then they were like, we would love, you know, you to consult for us, you to be involved with this. Um, and, yeah, it, it has been probably the most, like, healing experience of, of my life. Like, that game and that team are so special in that it really is about leaning into that emotion and I think that was something that I learned after working at Ultimus as much as I enjoyed you know working on a game that was really fun and and silly and and you know tongue-in-cheek I I tend to as a player resonate with stories that you know make me feel seen and make me feel something and Hollow Vista is exactly that kind of game it is that millennial experience of feeling lost in a world of technology and in a world where you're constantly yeah comparing yourself and trying to navigate yourself as well um and so i think for all of us being involved in that it it taught us a lot about ourselves in the process which was really special no it's fantastic and like i said before uh it's on mobile now so go go check it out if you're liking what you're hearing there go get it now we've really dived into the development side and Mm -hmm. the the games that you've worked on there in that capacity but then there are these other pillars of your career that are still still growing and you you mentioned film victoria in that last in that last little description there and that is an enormous part of what you do uh advice to developers in terms of creation release funding all those sorts of different aspects how did that emerge in the first place and it must be so incredibly fascinating to get this little peephole into all these other studios and what they're doing, um, how their little development brains are working, um, how all these things come together because oh, there's just so many cool ideas in this local scene. It is unbelievably rewarding. And, I mean, I had I didn't know Film Victoria existed until I started working in the games industry. And even yeah. then, I didn't know it existed until we were looking for, for funding um, to help with the marketing of, of Paperville. And <laughs> for me, I found out about Film Victoria and I was like, oh, that's awesome. I had no idea that was something that people did, like looked at games and, and funded them. And in my head, it was like, that's the five-year goal. Like in yeah. five years' time, I want to work at Film Victoria. I want to help the local industry. Because the entire time that I was at Ultimus, I my favorite thing was talking to other teams and, and helping them and trying yeah. to point them in the right direction and that kind of stuff. Um, and then so when I saw the job ad go up, um, I actually didn't even find it. My partner did because it was posted on Kotaku. Okay. And he sent it to me and was like, this is your job. And I was like, haha, you're so sweet. In five years, maybe. And he was like, no, I will be furious at you if you do not apply for this. There will be people out there applying for this that, you know, are years away from it. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm years away from it. Um, and he really was just like, throw your hat in the ring. And I was like, okay, you know what? Like, I wouldn't be here in games at all if I hadn't thrown my hat in the ring so let's do it um and the only big constraint on yourself was don't fan out like I did with Blizzard exactly exactly (laughs) I was like which you know it was a lot easier because I knew far less about Film Victoria than I did about Blizzard um but yeah I I had seen it as kind of this really far off thing um and I knew Liam from uh, the application process when we were on the other side of it and um I had emailed him randomly once off for advice on you know whether or not we should be going to GDC and he just sent back this lovely involved email where he gave me heaps of advice um so I kind of felt comfortable putting my hand up for it because I was like oh I get to work with someone that I know has this commitment to the industry and wants to help it and support it the way that I do um so yeah it was I still sometimes have to pinch myself a little bit because it does feel like just the best job to see what's being made here um and all around Australia and all around the world as well 
Yeah, well, obviously, whilst it, whilst it focuses on Victoria, you would get these little snapshots into what's going on elsewhere because obviously the the, the tendrils just kind of spread everywhere. Everyone's connected. Um, everyone's sharing their own ideas amongst other development communities. So you would get in touch with a whole bunch of other ideas, as you mentioned, uh, within Australia, but also internationally as well. Uh, and yeah, it must be incredibly fascinating to, to do so, I'm, I'm guessing. It's, it's unreal. I mean, you know, we see developers at so many different stages you know because we're funding so broadly as well you know we can't just support teams that have been doing this for 10 years but we also can't just support teams that have just come out of university um and we also can't just support people that have studied games there are a lot of people who like myself have gained all this knowledge and experience in other fields and then are able to bring that to games and really help I nearly said level up, which would have just been. <laughs> oh no, no, sorry. Right. Let's lean into it. Remember, you really made the fire pun before. Really leaning into tonight. Um, but yeah, really bring a lot to to our industry, and so being able to do that and to work with people at such different levels, learning such different things, um, is incredible. You know, we we might see something come in at a concept stage, and then they get a vertical slice together, and they go out and they get published funding, and they don't need us again. And yeah. that's kind of the ultimate goal is to to give people the opportunity to take whatever they've got in hand, turn it into something that they need it to be, and then Watch those fly little birds off. fly. Exactly. Do you have any, and I can understand if you don't want to necessarily divulge here, do you have like a favourite child that you've, or, or just like, or even just a favourite story, one that was maybe really struggling at some point and actually, oh, I'm going to lean into the bird flying thing, but like actually got its <laughs> wings and took off at some point that just maybe it seemed like everything was working against it and it just came together and was wonderful? Honestly, I think a lot of the time it's it's less about like specific projects and so much more about the people. Yeah. Like you, you get to see, you know, and often that's in the process itself. I mean, I think anyone who is approaching a government agency should be commended. Like that's a scary thing to, oh, yeah. to take your creative idea to someone and say, hey, I love this and I believe in it and can you believe in it too? And seeing people do that and be brave and put something forward that's really incredible and then be successful is is so wonderful um i think that's probably like the favorite child is the moments where you get to tell people like yes you are funded and we can't wait to see what you do with this and we believe in you because especially for a lot of these teams if they've been you know making this game in their back shed for a couple of months after work for you know however long that's an enormous that's investment on that time. part yeah yeah that's the first time someone's told them like hey i believe in you and that that means so much to a lot of people um, oh, on the flip side that that role also would ha- bring about some challenges too what is it like for you when especially i'd imagine there's probably even been some cases where there's people that you've actually known prior to them pitching a title to what what is it like when for you personally when you when you for whatever reason got to say no it's tough it's tough and i mean we're very lucky in the sense that we have very very good governance and so in terms of conflicts of interest and stuff like that we're very you're across good all at that. stepping away from from things that we know like there are some teams and some people that i know i just could never be impartial about yeah. and i make it an absolute priority to never be part of those conversations because i just know that i i can't be impartial yeah personal um, bias kicks in Exactly, yeah. And there are people in this industry that are dear, dear friends to me and it just wouldn't be fair for me to look at those projects and approve them. Um, But absolutely, you know, for for Liam and I, our job is to be every single applicant's cheerleader and to, you know, 
be there in the room when we're there with the panel and kind of give them as much context and as much information as we can. And so it's it's tricky. You get to know all these wonderful people doing really different, wonderful things. And absolutely, there are times when you have to tell them no. And I guess, you know, as as tricky as it is, the big thing for me is making sure that I can walk away feeling like I've given them something to work with and, yeah. and given them some feedback from the panel or, you know, hopefully given them a path forward that they can see and that they can feel comfortable following. Yeah, it's and not just a just... cold, hard no. It's There's yeah, something constructive to it. Exactly. And, you know, people are investing time and energy and it's very emotionally draining to do that kind yeah. of work. And so for me, it's about even if I can't give them a yes, what can I give them? Yes. Um, and, and trying to hopefully help them along that journey. Maybe it's, you know, introducing them to someone or, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, yeah, but it, it can be tricky. But as tricky as it might be for me, it's far, far trickier for them. So Oh, for sure. I, you know, I months months or years of well. you know, blood, sweat and tears pouring in. Exactly. And it exactly. culminates in a big moment that could yeah, you know, be a toss of a coin sometimes, I'm sure. It's really, really tricky. And I'm, I'm really grateful that I do get to be a little bit removed in a sense from the decision-making. Like, you know, our panel does that and takes charge of that and, and yeah. has that decision-making power. Um, which means that, you know, you've you've just got to be there as their advocate and their support system and try to be on, you know, the side of those developers, both when you're talking to them um, and in that room so that you can hopefully help them find and forge that path forward, even if it's not with FilmVic right, right yeah. then at that moment. And that's the thing, there are other outlets as well and uh, opportunities and you can guide people towards those that might suit them better. So Yeah, and it's tricky. I mean, you know, a lot of the time publishers are so inundated with pitches that they just can't give feedback they can't tell you what didn't work or what did work so in a you know even worst case scenario at least hopefully we're giving them some guidance on how to refine those things so that when they do go and have a conversation that maybe is even more important um they can go to it with their best foot forward yeah absolutely so we've mentioned a few different pillars development film vic and then there's this other one uh access unlocked Yes. Which I'd really love to pick your brain about because accessibility in games, you know, obviously takes a lot of different forms for starters. You get you get some people looking at purely from the where's the easy in my Dark Souls, mm-hmm. or then there's of course things like the Xbox Adaptive Controller, and and there's so many different uh, ways that we can address this topic, but it is such an important topic to discuss. Um, and there's obviously still yeah a million different perspectives as well. But what was that like getting involved in that and building that up and it was, it was, yeah, it was something that I knew I wanted to do pretty early on. I remember having a phone call uh, with the ever wonderful Liam Esler, um, who barely knew me at the time. So bless his cotton socks for taking that call. But um, I remember standing outside the Ultimus office and being like, hey, I want to do this thing. And at the time I was talking about doing like a two or three day workshop um, about accessibility. And I was like, is there anyone else who would do this that I could help, you know, do this? And he was like, no, no if it's going to happen, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to take it and you're going to have to run it. And for a long time, I had that idea in the back of my mind of, you know, how do we increase the understanding of accessibility and not just for players, but also for developers, you know, how do we, culture was a big thing for me um, working at Ultimus, you know, how do you build the culture of a studio? How do you support a a team of people who are very different, doing different things? And um, have different priorities and... Yeah, yeah. and, and who are all humans that go home to their human lives and aren't you know just work beings um and so that was really important and it built into that for me in terms of 
the accessibility that needs to be built into culture so that people like myself, you know, can work comfortably. And, you know, I'm really lucky in that at Film Victoria, I'm super supported and, you know, I can be open and honest about my disability, but a lot of people can't in the roles that they're in and they don't feel comfortable. So trying to create a space for that was, was kind of the, the guiding force. And then I happened to be introduced to um, Cameron Hopkinson, who is in New Zealand, and yes. they were really keen on this kind of accessibility group idea. And so we both had a conversation, realized that we'd both been kind of marinating on the same idea for one to two years. So and let's partner just, up. Yeah, exactly. And it came together from there and we founded Accessibility Unlocked. And it's really starting to grow some legs and doing really quite well from at least what it's I'm been, seeing on the outside anyway. Yeah, it's been a tough year, I think. You know, we, we launched in August of last year and had all these big plans for in-person events and all sorts of stuff. Um, and COVID and, had its way with that. But. And COVID had its way with that. And then on top of that as well, you know, we're a team of mostly disabled people so we have to be really careful about how much work we take on and um how much we're doing so that has always been priority number one is making sure that we can take care of ourselves and each other and and not push ourselves and burn out and um so for us it was about creating something that was here was present was you know accessible to people um and could help point them in the right direction or provide them resources and support so you just hit on uh, basically one of my very next questions here. You spoke about uh, burnout and taking on too much, <laughs> and yet we've just listed an incredibly <laughs> large number of different mm. things that you do. Oh. How do you manage to spin all those different plates? Because obviously there's only so many hours in a day. You've yes. just uh, grafted out. We're already now at about 50 minutes that we've been chatting together. That's another 50 minutes of your day that's just disappeared. Thank you, by the way. Um, <laughs> like how how do you find a way to spin all those plates? How do you manage that time? Because again, the, these principles that you're talking about, about burnout and looking after yourself and, you know, loved ones, all those sorts of things, the, uh, you know, things that even stem from, you know, other conversations like crunch and all those sorts of things that we hear about in, in AAA and independent spaces. Um, how do you manage to avoid that yourself despite the many, many things that you're doing? A lot of it is... Um genuinely because of my condition my fibromyalgia like when I when I got that I had always been burning the candle at both ends yeah um and always doing too much and then crashing for a couple of days um and just being exhausted and so for you know five nearly six years now I've had to learn how to identify when I'm pushing that line too much oh, and yeah, actually okay. plan for it as well so you knowing know, your limits International games week is a perfect example of that is a week that i know i will be doing too much seeing too many people and i know that i will need at least four or five days to recover so i make sure i have that leave um when it comes to you know working at film vic during the day and then doing consulting stuff at night i am always adamant that i leave on time and so that i can give my time to my family and to my friends and to other stuff that i need to do so a lot of it is that production brain of organizing my time as much as possible, but also making sure that I make time for what recharges me. And often yeah. a lot of the time, you know, code shifting in a way to stuff like this is is really valuable for me. It, 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 I love connecting to other people. So anything that increases that, I often feel better because of. Um, and I'm lucky. I'm really supported. I have a really supportive workplace. I have a really supportive partner. Um, you know, as, as tough as this year has been with switching to remote work, that's really good for me in terms of my health and not, yep. you know, getting on trains and doing all that stuff. So, yeah, it's been a lot of learning and a lot of times where absolutely I've been burned out. And I was super burned out um, 
after my first sort of year in industry, I was exhausted. I had been trying to do everything. And I had, I realized at that point, I have to figure out how to manage this or I just won't survive it. Yeah, identifying your own limitations and working within whatever those constraints happen to be. And that's, I mean, cycling back to what you were talking about with uh, when we're talking more specifically about Access Unlocked, like everyone's limits, everyone's boundaries, everyone's yep. capabilities differ. Um, yep. And that would be, you know, being able to identify that in yourself can also be perhaps even a greater challenge than looking on at someone else and helping to guide them. I'd imagine. Hugely. It's, it, it's hugely frustrating. Like as, and, and it's something that I've said when I've done panels about, you know, disability and accessibility and stuff like that. Ambition doesn't disappear. You yeah. know, I'm someone that, you know, I, I, you know, had my illness come on when I was a lot older. And so I had to actually kind of unlearn a lot of the practices that I had been treating my body of just, you know, go, 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 go. And so that, because that's part of my personality and, and that ambition and that drive, I have to actually be forced to hear it because if I don't hear it, I yeah. will collapse and then I can't get anything done. And so it was the same thing with Accessibility Unlocked. It was like, okay, well, I could go, you know, with this team at a thousand speed and we could push each other at a thousand speed, but all that's going to happen is we're, we're going to burn out and not be available anyway. Whereas if we have this slow, planned, careful burn, we're guaranteeing that we have the space and the capacity to do that for a lot longer. Yeah, it's longevity. Exactly. Yeah. So then. Marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then there's one other thing that's just recently emerged. Uh, and for anyone who wants to go see the little victory speech, do we call it? You can dive, dive <laughs> onto your Twitter account. But uh, you were recently awarded the, uh, well, considered a rising star winner at the AGDAs recently. So firstly, massive congratulations for that. But uh, how does that sit with you? It's so strange. <laughs> like How so? I... Because again, and this is me. Maybe, maybe I sound like I'm pumping pumping your tires too much here. So, listeners, <laughs> shoot me down if I'm if I'm speaking out of turn here. You you won't because you'll you'll agree with me. But again, with all those million different things you're doing at such a high level, how does that surprise you at all? <laughs> it's, only, it's only a matter I... of time. Don't <laughs> I, I guess... understand why you wouldn't be saying that. That's incredibly <laughs> arrogant for anyone to say that. <laughs> I, I guess for me, like, so much of it comes from that really liking people thing. And and so many people have been so gracious to me and so generous. And that's part of why that <laughs> ridiculous speech was so long. Because I was like, there are so many people that have, have done so much for me along the way that I just wouldn't be here without. Um, I wouldn't be in this industry without. And so... I don't know. It, it it feels weird to classify anything that I do as kind of a, above or beyond or because I just know so many people who do that do for each other things. every day. Yeah, like our community is so wonderful and takes such good care of each other. And, you know, like any community, it's not without its struggles and its challenges. But for the most part, I've been really lucky to have people be really kind to me. So being kind to them in return kind of seemed like a no-brainer. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it's a strange thing. I I find uh, recognition kind of odd, which I think a lot of people do, yes. um, especially because for me, a lot of it is built into the kind of work that I'm lucky enough to get to do. Like I feel very lucky and very blessed, so it feels odd to be singled out for all of the wonderful things that are around me in my eyes. I guess. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. So with with all that in mind, what's next? What, what, oh, do, do, do you have something in the distance there that you're kind of working towards the, you know, that, that one day sort of dream or have you, have you already ticked off a lot of those? I, I genuinely have like ticked off more than I expected. You know, Film Vic was a, a pretty far in the distance thing for me. Um, 
when I looked at applying for it, I thought that was years away. So I think a big part of when I think about what's next, and I think this year especially, is just slowing down a little bit yeah. um, and making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm trying really hard to start saying no to more things. Like, unless it's something that I know I have the capacity for, I don't want to keep running at a thousand miles per hour. Yes. Um, so a lot of it for me is like, okay, where can I take, you know, the space and the visibility that I now have and what can I do with that for people that Force are in good. my position? Yeah. And yeah, like, are, you know, we're in my position a couple of years ago. And so my job allows me to do that a lot. Um, I don't have any deep interest or drive to start a studio or do anything like that anytime soon. Um, but who knows? I'm very much Let's not rule it happiest. out. The way you're going, let's not rule that out at all. But... <laughs> well, I think I'm just, I'm happiest working with lots of different teams in lots of different yeah. ways. So I think if anything, I in a couple of years' time, I would be looking at trying to, you know, consult for a couple of different teams and, and be, I like really getting to know people. And I think being able to do that um, with a couple of different teams and studios doing different things and, and creating heartfelt things um, is probably the, the kind of end goal. And it's a nice yeah. end goal in that it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily attached to a place or, um, or a specific way of working. It's much more about the kind of people I'll be able to surround myself with, which makes it feel a lot more achievable and a lot nicer to... Well, yeah, I mean, to. that's that's in line with one of the comments you made earlier on about... Uh, I don't think it was this exact word, but you were speaking... Because it was this consultancy capacity, whether it's marketing or whatever, you were somewhat, in a very limited capacity, somewhat detached. So you're able to stand back and look at things and really assess them for what they are. And there is that yep. thing that people can have, not just in uh, game development, but in a whole host of different industries that you can sometimes be too close to something and yep. not be able to identify flaws or or just opportunities for improvement or whatever the case is. And being able to essentially be a, a gun for hire of sorts um, would be really valuable, I'm sure, not just for, for those teams that you work with, but also for yourself to, to take on so many different experiences and, and ways of thinking from different people. And it's that culture context too. It's that opportunity to to actually encourage people. And this is something that I do with Aconite a lot with um, the two directors who are just phenomenal, phenomenal people and incredibly smart business people. But it's actually getting them to slow down and take half an hour or an afternoon to sit and talk about the wins they've had so far. Yep. Because when you're in the midst of all this stuff, you, you're always going forward at yeah. a thousand miles an hour. And if you don't have someone that can tell you to stop for a second and take stock and reflect, you know, whether that's from a business perspective of, okay, it's great that we're talking about this game now. What's the next game? What's the game after that? But also from a, an emotional perspective, you know, is this, how are you feeling about this? How are you yeah. feeling about what's next? Um, that's a, a real privilege to get to, to be part of those conversations with people. Yeah, that, that's that's really valuable stuff. And I'm, well, you're going to get to enjoy that for a lot longer. So, um, yeah, I, so. I look forward to, to hearing about the various teams that you'll be working with in various different capacities, of course. Um, it'll be great to see. So as we start to wind things down, cycling back to kind of really specific you and a bit more big picture, and you, you know some of the questions are coming up now anyway, but uh, who out there inspires you? Is it someone that you've worked with? Is there someone that you look at from a distance that really just inspires you in the way you go about your work? That's a really hard question. I, I'm i sure there's so many. You probably listed them all so, in the, in yeah. the, the, the acceptance go, speech. Yeah, go and watch that acceptance <laughs> speech because I listed like 90% of them. Um, 
That was impressive, by the way. Did you have those names written down somewhere? I did did write them down. And I actually had to cull a lot of names. Like, you cannot imagine how long it took me to to pull that thing together. It would have been (laughs) great had I not known it was coming because then at least I could have just said thank you, everyone. Ad lib and move on, yeah. Exactly. But, yeah, I had to think about it. Um, I think a... I think a big one for me has been working with Liam, um, especially, you know, working with someone who cares so deeply about this industry and is constantly remembering what matters about it. Um, that's a massive one for me. I think it's very easy to to look, you know, across at people that you might not know very well and, and auteurs and people who have absolutely done incredible things in this industry. But there are so many people and people that I've worked with in the past and I'm sure we'll work with in future that aren't necessarily super visible, that aren't super well-known names. um, And they've been some of the best people that I've ever had the pleasure to work with. So it's, it's definitely not one person. It's a a kind of person. And um, Liam is a great example of that kind of person, someone who is genuinely in it to see people succeed and to support them through the process. So I think it's people like that, that I tend to, Gravitate towards. towards. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, and uh, it's it'd be good if there was more more of those sort of people out there. Really. Absolutely. And there are lots. And there are lots of them too. Yeah. Um, it's a matter of it's a matter of finding them and getting them in the right environment and contexts and all those sorts of things. Exactly. What have been some of the most valuable lessons and experiences you've picked up over the journey so far? Probably the biggest one is trust your gut. Um, I think you know trust. It's really easy to talk yourself into you know, staying in places or going and working at places because it seems like the right idea or, you know, you really care about what you're doing there or whatever. But I think a lot of the time you know yourself so much better than you think and you deserve to find a place that will help you succeed and help you grow. Um, And I think, yeah, every time that I get to a point where I'm unsure about something, I think I usually already know the answer, but I just maybe don't want to hear it. And I think that's something that everyone in games um, should be doing is, is trying to listen for those answers. So, so bringing that, that logic, the trust your gut um, ideology to back to the film Vic stuff. And again, the, the, the moments where you're saying yes or no to people when when you, I'm sure there's those where you, you have a gut feeling, but you can't quite rationalize for whatever reason why it is you're having that feeling how how do you how do you process that and try and work your way through it because i'm sure i mean i don't have the 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 understanding of what your processes are but i'm sure there's got to be more than just just got a feeling yeah well i mean that's where a lot of the time it's so valuable having a panel because if your gut feeling is aligning with the gut feeling of six other people then maybe it is more than a gut feeling yeah and i think that's where you know you get to and, and I guess that probably goes hand in hand with the trust your gut is is also as much as you trust your gut, sense check your gut, you know, yeah, okay. go and go and, and take those things to people that you trust and people that you know, believe in your best interests and talk to them about it, whether that goes for game design or where you work or where you want to work next or whatever that looks like, um, you know, look inwards and then take whatever your conclusion is outwards and see where you land with the people you trust. That's a fantastic um, way to put it. Yeah, that, that helps a lot. It helped me a lot and always does. So find those people you trust and hang on and trust yourself in the process. That's awesome. Now we're up to the curly ones at the end here. So one of them you already know very well. If you could be credited for any game that has ever existed in any capacity, what game would it be? I reckon SimCity 2000. Oh, because, what about that one? Okay, yeah. I think, I mean, I'm obsessed with simulation games and I just feel like that birthed the, I mean, Maxis in general, like you could put me on Sim Ant or Sim Tower, throw me on any of them, I don't care. 
But I mean, my wife that... love my wife loves Simant, so Simant oh, is such a good game, and I just want them to remaster it. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But I think that whole suite of games, a really like it bleeds into my production brain of it's all about management and organization. And I don't know why it is that after a day of managing things, the only thing I want to do is go home and manage more things. Oh, um, just different, like different things. Like I'll go home and manage ants or a tower instead. Um, but also I just think it birthed a, a sense of a genre where it wasn't just about becoming a person. Like so many of, you know, the early kind of, I guess, like role-playing games were about embodying this specific kind of person. And I guess for me as a, as a young girl, especially like there wasn't that many that I could see myself embodying, but games like that, it didn't matter who I was. It was about the job that I was doing and how I was doing it. And um, yeah, I just think simulation games have so much to say in, in ways that people don't always realize, which I love. And SimCity 2000 is just the culmination of all that. I I think it just, yeah, it just stands out to me. It's, these you know all these little people with their their little lives that you know you are seeing from a distance but you're still part of it and i think maybe that and you could destroy my own life like that <laughs> no i always turn disasters off i'm one of those people oh, i just okay. want to build something lovely and look at it um i, no, I do that like, for a while too and then eventually it's okay it's you've had an hour exactly guys. no exactly <laughs> that's a that's a sims thing that's a sims thing you know like uh, that, take, the take sims away is the, where all of the take away crazy the stairs and Lock them in, exactly. take away the doors once you've lit a fire. Exactly. Wear but see, Sim City, I'm I'm good to just build them something nice, see them have a nice time. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. Another curly one. If you uh, any game that you've ever played that you presumably one that you adore, uh, you could erase your memory of that and just get to replay it again, and experience that game for the first time. What that, what would that be? People would think I would say Overwatch, especially because I have a diva tattoo. So you would think it would be Overwatch, but it's not. It's Firewatch. They both have Watch in it, I guess. Yeah, but there's, there's a Firewatch, there. yeah, Firewatch just... I mean, I was crying within like a minute. So I was like, well, I know this is a game for me. Um, but something about understanding the sort of stories that could be told and really understanding, like it was a similar timing of me really getting into to playing sort of everything that was coming out rather than what I could get my hands on. Yeah. And it is just still... I would say my favorite game of, of all time. There's oh, really? Just something about, yeah, there's just something about that experience and this idea of connecting to someone that you can't see and that is at a distance and how heavy and weighty and important that can be um, that I just loved. So, yeah, wipe my memory tomorrow so I can play it again. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> so has the, the fangirl email gone out to the, the team at Campo Santo just yet? No, but absolutely. There One are day. a bunch of them. I'm, I'm that person that when I play a game I love, I watch the credits so that i can stalk the producers on twitter and i'm like and it's always the producers because i'm just like i want to know what it was like helping build this thing yes with what must have been all these wonderfully creative people um yeah definitely firewatch no that's a that's an excellent choice and i'm a big fan of firewatch myself so good so to wrap things up uh meredith thank you very very much for coming on the show and sharing your story and experiences and there's obviously so much more to come the nature of a few of your roles means there's going to be little stories popping up left right and center and again very easy to see how and why you uh got the award that you did and it's it's going to be awesome to see what comes next but if people want to keep tabs on you learn about uh, what you're up to interact with you where would they be best to go best place to go is maryh.dev which is my website because that has links to everything else but um i am very loud and noisy on twitter at all times sometimes usefully loud and noisy and talking about 
game development tools and strategies and often just memeing. So if that's something that's up your alley, at Mary H is a good place to find me. They are brilliant places to go. And again, like I mentioned before, it's, it's through the website there that you'll be yes. able to, to very easily access the likes of The Unkindness and Middle of the Hill. So be sure to go visit the, uh, visit the site, check those out because they're really fascinating little ideas that you've been cooking up on your own there. And um, who knows what else to come as you continue to explore these various little engines Anything that are out there. Exactly. There's so many things you can do with them. So I'm excited to see what uh, comes of that and, of course, the various other roles and capacities over the journey. Thank you very, very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Meredith's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.